Hello and welcome to Let the Bird Fly, a podcast about living freely in a world given back to us. Uh, Wade and I are at an undisclosed location, and we are delighted to have a guest here, uh, Pastor Justin Clout. Is he also at an undisclosed occasion? Yes, he is. He's with us in this undisclosed location. Uh, Pastor um, in Watertown, Wisconsin, um, and we'll have him uh, introduce himself when we get to the main topic, but... Uh, we brought him in because he and I are a fan of James K. A. Smith, um, a Calvinist uh, author, and we wanted to Is discuss. Is he Calvinist for sure? I saw that he teaches at Calvin, but I've wondered if he. Yeah, if he's really where he's at. Uh, I don't know either. That's a good question. Uh, why don't you research that? I did look it up some. Okay. I, I know he says he's Protestant in the book, yeah. but I... One, one of his uh, more recent books, On the Road with St. Augustine, or if you're snob like Wade, uh, St. Augustine, A Real World Spirituality Just for show hands Restless in the room, Hearts. Uh, whose saint name was that for their confirmation? <laughs> uh, oh, I just see my hand Do up. you say uh, uh, Pastor Clout, Augustine or Augustine? I say Augustine. Okay. All right. I'm in, I'm in the... Someone's got to mention this to Florida. Yeah. Someone's got to tell them that it's St. Augustine instead of... You're shocked that Florida's doing something odd? No, I think Florida is one of our best states. All right, now, so we're going to get to On the Road with with, uh, with St. Augustine. I will, I will we should, let you do that's that. That's another free-for-all we should do. We've never played Florida, Ohio, Germany on here, have we? Oh, you add Germany to that, huh? Yeah, because sometimes like the eating people or okay. Germany's got weird... To fill in our, our listeners, there is a, a sports radio uh, show in Chicago. I can't remember which one. And once in a while, they do a bit, which is Ohio or Florida, and they have a legit news story, usually yeah. probably involving meth or you know something like that or whatever. So there's a radio show that actually does it? Yeah. And uh, then we just used to play that, making fun of like Ohio. So they say, you know, what happened, and then the guest or whatever has to uh, decide if it's Florida or Ohio. Sometimes it's easy, like you know, there uh, someone was playing with a crocodile or whatever. But yeah. um, it is actually quite quite difficult. Yeah, it, it gets more interesting if you throw in Germany. Yeah. Well, we'll do that, um, and and maybe we could add, even add a fourth one. Think about that. Like, mm. what would that be? So anyway, I'm thinking uh, about live PD locations now. <laughs> I turned you on to that one too. Didn't you I? did yeah, right. in New York, in in Manhattan, and Mike we, turned it on. We had nothing to do in Manhattan but watch A and E, late night A and E. All right. Um, so we're going to talk about that, and our free for all is going to be a silver lining from uh, the COVID nineteen pandemic. Uh, obviously, we're very sad at what's going on, but there are some silver linings to all of these kinds of things, and so we'll each. It'll be a very calm. You know what mine is going to be? The healing of political divisions. In America. <laughs> <laughs> Clearly, that's, that's, that's been, been going pretty well. well. <laughs> Could have been. Yeah. Could have been. Anyway, before we get any further, I'm going to read our disclaimer. The show doesn't speak for our churches or church bodies or our employers. To be honest, much of the time, it probably doesn't speak for us. We will be thinking out loud a lot. So approach what you hear with the healthy skepticism, because well, as a responsible resident of planet Earth, that's probably what you should generally do with almost everything. If you find yourself getting too worked up, tune out, look around, and realize you were just listening to a podcast. That's right, a podcast. So go live free, friends, and don't let us get in the way.
And that brings us to our free-for-all, where I think Peter says we talk about the pressing issues of our day. And Mike, I just noticed, too, and I've been meaning to ask, you trimmed your beard, huh? I did. Um, for the cause. Um, I, for what cause? For um, uh, At St. John's Mogwanago, I had to help with, I was preaching, did communion. We, had, we wore masks as we distributed communion, and it just, you know... I'm guessing people are like, I don't think that mask is really doing anything because your beard's hanging out of it. So I trimmed it down for. Isn't COVID-19. your beard kind of like a built-in mask? Well, it's it's all about perception at that point. So did Borland trim his? No, um, and uh, my family thinks I look even uglier now because you know less covering of the face. It was a nice beard you had going though. I did, and I immediately regretted it. I said, "What am I doing here?" I bet it'll grow back. But I, that was at least a four- or five-month beard, I'd say. Yeah. So uh, hopefully by fall, um, uh, when the students come back, they won't be traumatized by yeah. my face. Well, I don't think you look bad. I just Hey, thanks, man. You look different. So um, our free-for-all topic, we're here uh, in the midst of, I, I would love to say tail end, but who knows when it's the tail end of the uh, coronavirus uh, pandemic. We've had, I think, all of us here in Wisconsin stay at home order since mid March. Does that sound mm-hmm. right? Um, and we are recording at the end of May now today. Um, as far as stay at home order now, it kind of depends on what county you're in and what city. Um, Mike and I live in the city of Milwaukee, which is it keeps extending stuff. Um, I don't know what Watertown, do they have anything in place or? No. So that uh, the Supreme Court kind of decision threw everything to like a wild west of local orders. Um, But we don't want to focus on all the the negatives. Um, By the way, the Gost House was shoulder to shoulder on the day that the recorder was overturned. Mm -hmm. Yep. It was one of the bars in Wisconsin that they showed. Yeah. (laughs) It kind of had to know that was going to happen in Wisconsin, you know. (laughs) But... uh, what we, what we figured we would talk about is, is what, if anything, has been a positive, not that came out of um, the coronavirus. We're, I'm personally very anti-coronavirus. I'll leave it up to you gentlemen um, if you disagree to, to share that. But um, I'm just generally anti-pandemic. It's a stance I've always had, and I think I've only grown, grown firmer in it over the years. Um, but as far as the stay-at-home order, uh, the the life changes that have happened for people, um, kind of what, if anything, is a a positive that, that we've noticed out of that? And, and you read the news and you'll hear stories about positives and negatives, you know, some communities coming together in a way that maybe they hadn't, um, you know, but then uh, I've seen a few police officers when I've been at the gas station or wherever lately, and I've, I've kind of asked them, so has stuff in general been calmer or crazier um and almost all of them i'm say i've talked to three or four at least and they have said uh um in some ways calmer but the domestic violence cases they've said have, have just kind of gone you know blown up of people are at home together and it's tense so i think we we in the media we hear both but i will throw it to either of you guys and you can stare at each other till someone wants to, I'll go to share about I'll, anything that I'll maybe has been a, a positive i'm gonna say two positives one um and i did are you gonna rank them at least um yeah i'll rank them i'll go number two is um that there despite all the domestic violence all the, i saw a police officer and uh west Isles police officer um our friend from st john's mcguadago and 
he said domestic. He, I asked him about domestic violence. He said that's always going up, <laughs> but uh, less car accidents, less all that kind of stuff. Yeah. Um, but there has been reports of people's marriages becoming stronger, and I know I, I looked at my wife maybe mid-April and said, "Well, I think we can handle retirement, you know, <laughs> since we we uh, we like being around each other, even though we were in the same room all the time, you know, the same building." So that was a good thing. Um, the number one though, I at least hope will be an outcome. Um, there's other outcomes that we would have liked to seen, like maybe some civility and, you know, maybe people thinking before they talk, but that has yeah. not occurred. Like a uh, post nine 11 thing. Like maybe I'm misremembering nine 11, but it seemed like after nine 11, there was at least a, a okay. phase of like, okay. Yeah. Yeah. We're America. So that, that did not happen. And that's that. Um, I think that people are going to realize that online learning is not the savior of education in America. And certainly people, the vast majority of people who are, let's say, either uh, single parent homes or where both parents work, that this is not probably going to work out for our kids. And that, uh, especially in the lower grades, that they're going to be behind for a year and uh, appreciation of uh, educators and stuff like that. And I think you and I, I think we did the best we could when it came to online college education. And even if we had more time and could we do all sorts of, us. all, yeah, uh, we could do, uh, even if we could do something f fancy, the point is, is that it's very hard to be motivated when you're at home alone, whatever that in-person education still has a value. And so I think that will be uh, a silver lining that will come out of this. Nice. That was thought. That was well thought through. I will. I will let our our guest, our esteemed guest from Watertown, Watertown, uh, share uh, his thoughts. I thought I only had one, but after li listening to Mike, I was wondering, can I can I take two as Absolutely. well? I think you do two as long okay. as you rank them. Okay, <laughs> I'll rank them then. Following Mike's lead here, number two is I think the same thing will happen with the church: is that people will begin to realize that. As wonderful as the blessing of online worship is, that there's something to being physically in the same space. And, uh, you know, it, it's, it's been a great thing that we've been able to stream services. And it's actually pushed a lot of churches to kind of accelerate the... Into the 21st century. Yeah, yeah. And, uh, you know, you see all kinds of people visiting from all over and you, get a, you can see your number of views and it's pretty good. Um, but it's just not the same. And I think maybe we'll appreciate the, the gathering of the body in a physical way a little bit more. And then the number one blessing would be just with our family. I think we're at a perfect place. If, if a pandemic is ever going to happen and, and we're going to have to be quarantined, um, right now my children, my oldest daughter, and this might be a little bit of my introduction, but my oldest daughter, Sophia, is a sophomore, will be going into her sophomore year in college. Uh, my oldest son just graduated from high school, and then I have uh, another son who will be going into uh, his senior year at Luther Prep, and then one who will be an eighth grader. So they're all at the age where they can kind of do the online learning thing themselves. Mm -hmm. They can even help cook meals for mom who's working full-time. A nurse, right? Uh, yep, a case manager at the Watertown Hospital, <laughs> and uh, she's doing that because... Surprisingly, not even MLC is free. 
Uh, so <laughs> <laughs> to, with one, two, three, so we'll have two at MLC next year and then a, a senior at Luther Prep. So, so Martin Luther College in New Orleans. Yeah. Yeah. So she's working hard to uh, build up the the, the funds Bank to help account, yeah, yeah. Yep, make it yeah. happen. Nice. Okay. I'll Dr. do two th- also then. Okay. Get my, number my f- two. F- number two would be um, less human contact. I uh, I like seeing my friends. Um, I like seeing my students. When I was a pastor, I liked seeing my members. But in general, uh, I less, think I honestly less, have enjoyed. Less traffic. Too. Yeah, like just less. You know, you you're driving. There's less people to upset you. You you're not out and about um, experiencing the population. Right. Spoken like a true narcissist. Yes. Um, and uh, I'm working on that. I feel like I've. Yes, you've had time to think. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and uh, but no, I I mean I have. I've been around the people that mean the most to me. I want to be and not have to be around people that. Um, I will say connected to that, I very much did miss seeing my students. And it was actually kind of sad when we would Zoom and you were like, okay, I'd much rather have contact with you in person. Um, but just random people, you know, like you, you go to the store and the, the person that always the has their, their cart in the middle of the aisle and you're like, why do you have your cart in the middle of the aisle? And so you push the cart, wait mm-hmm. on the aisle out of the way, and then they're like, why'd you do that? You know. You, you have less of those interactions. Yeah. Um, you're not taking it out on your family though, or you just, no, I don't think so. Um, and then I would say the top benefit family wise, I would agree with, I think in-person church and school is being very big too. So I won't, I won't say those, but, um, I think that will be, um, I think partly people are going to realize more. There's a formative aspect to both those things, to education and to church. And that formative aspect comes with more than just kind of the, the sharing of information. Um, but I would say the top has just been uh, Maggie's going off to college next year. Um, we have a family that with kids that are usually in a bunch of stuff, and so they're usually the beginning of this time of year with, with club ball and stuff. They're all over. You don't really see each other much. And uh, I would say to see them really interacting a lot together um, has been fun to see. Uh, you know, it's sad for um, none of the three in high school got their, their spring seasons. Um Maggie obviously miss prom and they'll have Wisco's doing the best they can with graduation and that but but as far as like family time I think uh they'll probably look back and be closer siblings because of it I mean they've had some big blow-ups too don't get me wrong but um but not as many as I you thought as I expected I, I offered Abigail who's going to be a senior next year to have a prom at our house I also offered to put she out a prom for she, Maggie. Yeah. I surprised she didn't even consider it. I also offered to wear my academic robes and give Maggie a diploma. Mm. She didn't want to do that. We had our principal come out and uh, do a little graduation service for our eighth grader. That was nice. Uh, Anything else? No, that's mostly what I had. Okay, we'll be back. I have more questions about the beard, but I figured out that. We'll be back, and uh, Pastor Clark can introduce himself a little bit more, and we'll get into the main topic. 
Hi, we're back for the main topic. Um, we have air conditioning, new air conditioner in the studio. It's set at 73, blowing directly onto me. Wade is not happy with that. He is taking the remote and is going to, is going to uh, be futzing with that. Um, and as longtime listeners will know, that you didn't know there was a remote, Mike, did you? He will. He will. I got this air conditioner a, put in here. He will make a big deal until he gets his I way. I did a work order. All right. So um, let me just say a little bit about uh, the book, and then we'll kick it to you, Justin, and you can tell us a little bit uh, more about yourself. So uh, James K. A. Smith, as we said before, uh, both uh, Justin and I like him as an author, and, and we both feel that he is able to explain some very complicated things in a way that we can understand. And so my, my first book that I that I got uh, from him was Who's Afraid of Postmodernism? And then in, in grad school, I had to um, read, I think, Imagining the Kingdom, but then also How Not to Be Secular. So a play on, on Charles Taylor, who wrote a nice little thing on the dust cover for, for James K. Smith's book On the Road with St. Augustine. So why don't you do this? Why don't you first tell us a little bit about yourself? And then the second question would be, what attracts you to this author? Who, by the way, is can be controversial. We're not, we shouldn't have to say this, but we always have to say it to read with a discerning eye or ear. Um, and There's not much in here to have to be. No, not this one. There's yeah. some of the stuff with the postmodernism. But I think Smith falls into the category of sometimes misunderstood hmm. and, and maybe even a criticism of him. What exactly are you saying? So, question number one: it's Who are a you? Nice, cool breeze in here now, Mike. Question: I can't you see even, what I got. It set I can't at? even hear. You see what I got? It set I can't at? even hear you because it's I blowing like in my lowest, ear. It's at sixty-one <laughs> on the highest possible fan. So I'm going to turn the fan off now that I've made my point. Yeah, thank you. And I'm going to. I'll go up to uh, seventy-two. Sounds like a nice okay. compromise temp. So, <clears throat> tell us about yourself, and then tell us about why you're attracted to this book in particular, but maybe the author in general. Okay. Uh, Justin Clout, as you already mentioned, born and raised in Wisconsin, <laughs> went through the whole Wells, Wisconsin Synod system. Um, <laughs> married to my. Through, Mike. <laughs> you got to watch what you say now. We're going to have to. <laughs> Stop interrupting. Go ahead. Okay. You said dang at least, right? No, I didn't. Married to <laughs> my beautiful wife, Rachel uh, Clout. Since 1998, I don't know exactly how many years that is. That was a good year, 98. Quite a few. Is that when you got married? No, no. I was. I graduated high school in 96, but 98 was in general a nice year. Yeah. You I remember Dante too. Culpepper was the um, quarterback for the Vikings that year. And then later they had a for really the good year. After yeah. his knees were bad. We anyway, we're sorry. Okay. We have uh, four kids together. Uh, Sophie, Ethan, Josiah, and Caleb. And out of the seminary, I was assigned to a small congregation. I'd call it a mission congregation in Missoula, Montana, the far western edge of Montana. It's a university town of about 60,000, 70,000. Stupid question. Well, what's the university there? University of Montana. That the, is where? The okay. Grizzlies. Okay. Yep. They, they had a pretty good, uh, they won the national championship back when the it was Division One, and then 1A. Or or, yeah. 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 Huh. Um, so university town in the Rocky Mountains, kind of a recreational hub. Uh, River Runs Through It was written and, and, well, was filmed in Bozeman, but it was written about Missoula. That's huh. where Norman McLean is from. 
Um, was it a lot of people in and out, or was it a, a lot of people that were um, between college and yeah, m- tourism? much more transient than, yeah, um, kind of like a lot of Western towns. Yeah. When we left, a lot of people were coming in because as, as people were able to work remotely, places like Missoula are very appealing. You know, you can live there and, and work from afar. And, huh. um, small congregation, maybe 100 souls on the books when we arrived and a little more than that when we left 16 years later so served in missoula montana for 16 years wonderful congregation Uh, we loved living there but two years ago i took the call to serve as an associate pastor at saint luke's in watertown wisconsin Um, opposite pretty much about as opposite as you can get from (laughs) from our little mission church um, a 150-year-old congregation, the oldest congregation in Watertown, but it was not always Wisconsin Synod. But I was going to yeah. ask if that was the one that had been Missouri until the, the break, and then it... Well, they no, that's St. John's. Okay. Um, St. Luke's had been independent, and, and they actually had it in their constitution that they would never join a denomination. Oh, really? So, so when they had the, the voters' meeting to decide on if they would join with the Wisconsin Synod, they were kind of in a... You know, pickle there, like, well, huh. the Constitution says we can't join a dom- denomination, but we want to, so. Huh. Um, Whatever a lawyer put together, a lawyer can take apart. Yeah, yeah. And I guess don't put that in your Constitution. Might be <laughs> <laughs> that seems like, yeah. Although a lot of churches back in the day, they were kind of started with some hostilities towards things. Yeah. Know? Like the anti-Missourian brethren were very anti-Missourian. Yeah. So... Been serving there for for two years. Wonderful congregation. Um, we've made it. We've been we're doing well through the whole uh, safer at home order. And um, I recently we recently installed a second pastor, uh, Timothy Redfield. So we're happy about that. Yeah. From Belle Plaine, Minnesota. Nice. Yep. That was by your old stop. Mm-hmm. Don't we have like a senior home there or something? Mm-hmm. Yep. Nice. So, uh, James K. A. Smith, uh, well, how did you get uh, hooked up with reading his books and what attracts you to his writing and what he says? I first read You Are What You Love. I don't know if you've read that one. I have not read that one yet. Okay. Yeah. So that one is about cultural liturgies and basically how the things that we do shape us. Uh, so... James Smith goes into even a shopping mall and shows how the architecture of a shopping mall, the flow of a shopping mall, the things that we do at the mall shape our behavior Mm -hmm. in a mall. And uh, someone who appreciates a liturgy, as someone who appreciates a liturgy, he shows how a liturgy actually can shape the Christian and how um, the activity of the liturgy can really be carried over into our everyday life. And I thought, I thought that was actually fascinating that we, we don't often talk that way. You know, when we talk about should you be liturgical or um, obviously, you know, you guys have talked about this before. Every church is liturgical sure. in some sense. But should you be historically liturgical or should you be more open and free in your worship? He, he makes the argument that the liturgy shapes us, mm-hmm. that we forgive one another in public worship and that can hmm. teach us to do that in our homes. Um, we begin the liturgy by calling upon God's name and thanking him for all of his blessings. And 
we can begin every day like that when we wake up in the morning. So to, to hmm. and, and I think there's probably some value in that for us to teach that, yeah. that, that we're, we're teaching you a pattern for your life in huh. Sunday morning worship. Yeah, no, yeah. that sounds, this was the first I'd read by him. And so um, I did order another one of his, I'm trying to look up, it was on. I'm, I'm not ignoring you. I'm ordering that book. Oh, okay. <laughs> it was on post-modernity, the other one that I got. So well, um, he's got a couple ones. Who's Afraid of Relativism, I believe. But who's Afraid of Postmodernism okay. Taking Derrida, Leotard, uh, to Church? And so some of the similar kind of concepts, that's how I got. That's how I got involved in him. Uh, I went to, a, this is many years ago, but Art Just uh, from uh, Fort Wayne Seminary had referenced that book in a speech, and so I took it up, and it really helped me kind of clarify some things. Um, That's what I got, Who's Afraid of Postmodern. Yeah, it's, it's a decent book. I mean, I, you know, read so, it discerningly, but yeah. And if you want to know more about uh, Smith's life and his background, there's a article in the America magazine, which is a Jesuit review hmm. written about him and uh, by Patty, I don't remember the guy's last name, by, by a priest. Um, it's a good article. It's free online. And and he's a younger guy. I mean, he's like a little, older right, than us. A little bit older yeah. than us, but yeah, he is not. So we'll have uh, to try to remember so. to link that in the show notes. Yeah, Mike. we will do that. So, so um, anything, keep going. And, and one more uh, free resource here is he has a YouTube clip where he is talking about this book and it's 40 minutes and it pretty much uh, summarizes some of the main thoughts in this book and it's actually maybe even takes it a step farther than, than some of the, okay. the, the things he brings up. So I, I listened to that on the way over just to review. Sure. So um, did you just pick this up uh, on the road with St. Augustine? A real world spirituality for restless hearts because you like the author, or were you assigned this for uh, reviewing, reviewing it? Or no, I just picked it up. I don't even know if it, it maybe it was a recommendation on Amazon, or you know, I, I don't even remember how I came across it. But I, when I saw it, I both both as a fan of Augustine, although definitely not a, a scholar, mm -hmm. um, and and Smith, it, it really interested me. So tell me about that. Tell, let, maybe uh, give an overview for the uh, listeners about this book and why you think it's it's about. Why why did you make sure to recommend it to me? <laughs> <laughs> well, I I think we had talked about him before, so I knew that you were a fan. But but also I think that the whole um, the whole concept of first of all being a traveler, being restless, looking for something. Um, is is very relevant to our current culture um and smith does a great job of describing where many people are at that they're um just on a constant search you know i, I found this in missoula that people would devote their life to mountain biking then they'd be into rafting and then they then they'd follow their kids around for sports and everyone's like going from one thing to the next searching for something that's going to give them rest mm -hmm. and peace and I, in this book, it, it's wonderful that, that Smith shows, actually, St. Augustine did the same thing mm -hmm. uh, before he mm -hmm. was St. Augustine. Mm -hmm. Yeah, and and both philosophically, religiously, but then I, I think what the strength of this book, too, is what it, what, did it, what was his relationship with his mother and his father, and then, then his relationship as, as a father, he was a father, um, and love and all those kinds of things, it wasn't... 
it didn't fall into the trap of saying, oh, you just get rid of all of the commercialism and then you'll find rest, right? It, yeah. it was something much deeper than that. So uh, maybe take us a little bit more into the book. Like uh, w w what would uh, someone who was maybe looking to read it, what should they expect? I think for pastors and just for, for thinking Christians, it's going to help you understand our society um, right now where we're at, especially topics like freedom. Mm -hmm. and, and he didn't really get into that, but, you know, I, I don't know how much you want to get into this right now. Go but, ahead. But Go we're, ahead. we're running into that right now with the whole wearing masks or not wearing mm -hmm. masks. And, and what do we see? We see the American concept of freedom when someone says, I'm free, I don't have to wear a mask. Mm -hmm. and, which is very individual, <laughs> which is something he brings out. Yeah, Yeah. I mean, he, he speaks about um, that type of freedom being basically a choice, a selfish choice, it, and, and that's freedom from something, which is kind of the American concept of freedom, is you, you think that freedom is just about being freed from a, a negative conception of freedom. Yeah. And Augustine kind of saw it that way, of, that saw that, saw freedom in that way at first as well, and was trying to be freed from the constraints of his homeland, his mom. Africa. Um, yeah, Africa. And, and I think Smith says somewhere that that type of freedom is like you're in a pool. You know those pools with the, the walls, like yeah. the, kind of more the red. The, the standing pools. Like the standing the, yeah. pools. And he said it's kind of like you're in that pool, and you wish that you could be free, so you keep banging up against the side of the walls. You know, I, I want a bigger pool. I want to be free. But then as soon as you're farther. free, yeah. the water all dissipates, and you dissolve into it, and you realize that those boundaries were actually a blessing. Yeah. Um, I, you know, I was glad you, you recommended it, and I thought I would put it as probably the best book I've read this year. Um, there are a lot of echoes to me of some similar themes as what uh, Dave Zoll has done with Seculosity, hmm. um, but it's not done in the same way. And, and so you're, you're, you're definitely not um, – it's, it's not redundant to, to read both. Um but I think he did something which is, is fun to see, you know, thoughtful people and academics do, which is to put his finger on things in the culture um, and then to try to take us outside of it um, so that we can really kind of consider how we are living and moving and, and having our our being. And I, I think that freedom from and freedom for is a big thing. Um, the journey picture is extremely helpful. All of us find ourselves journeying towards something um, whether sometimes intentionally or not. Um, Mike mentioned retirement, right? All, all of us in this room are, Lord willing, if he grants us the health, journeying towards retirement at, at some point. Um, but uh, I think a helpful thing he brings out is that that journey is, is best shared, right? Um, and that even when we think we're making our journey alone, it's still, in a sense, shared. You're, you're going to travel on roads that have been built, Um you're going to use a language that has been crafted over centuries. Um, you're, what you think about life is shaped by your past and, and people outside of you. And I think that's something especially, um, I've actually thought of adding this for Ethics or for Christ and Culture as a, as a book. Because I, I thought think, maybe <clears throat> a possible campus read too, it may be a little bit too in-depth, it's a different kind of, but yeah, no, kind of cool. Possible, yeah. yeah. Or do I get to keep talking? Yep, or do you, sorry. I, 
just you interrupted me. Mm. No. I would never do that to you. No, you wouldn't. That's, <laughs> uh, that is for sure. You would never interrupt anybody. No, but I think for I think for students, and I think not just for students, but for Americans in in general, um, and I think Jonathan Haidt kind of comes out here too. Haidt, Haidt, you know, um, but we've talked about him a lot, Mike, um, and you know he talks about morality and how people, you know, on the left or on the right, and individual versus communitarian and stuff mm-hmm. like that. Um, but this balance of uh, of journeying together, there's echoes of kind of C.S. Lewis and the notion of friendship, um, someone standing beside, they're about the same thing. But I, I think uh, it's he's not making an argument for the humanities, but it's a really good argument for the humanities, and not just college humanities, but um, for people... Uh, for people to be shaped to be thoughtful people who are able to engage neighbor and the past um, in meaningful ways. And, and so I thought that was fascinating. He does a good job um, of not... Um, a, he, 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 I don't want to say he takes liberties with Augustine because he's not doing that, but he, he uses Augustine in a way that I think is not anachronistic. Um, uh, but... Um, he hits on this too. We tend to think of Augustine and people think of doctrine. Augustine's against the Pelagians. He's against the Donatists. He's, you know, um, but one of the most interesting things about Augustine is that he does write his confessions, which is one of the earliest autobiographies we really have. And it's interesting that many people historically thought writing an autobiography was not a good thing to do. It's why, like in the 16th century, the reformers, we know almost nothing of their childhoods. Mm-hmm. And so you'll hear people who go on and on about Luther's childhood and how terrible it was, but that's based on like a few references and table talk. He never like sat down and wrote about like when he really liked playing Foursquare, you know, with, <clears throat> I don't know, Hans and, you know, pick some German names, Ulrich. Um, and and uh, Philip Carey, uh, you know, has the book, was. Augustine and the invention of the inner self or of the, he argues that Augustine basically invented personhood, like that you can go within yourself and think about yourself, right? That this is is something he does. Um, And so he makes a really interesting contact point, Augustine becomes for for, um, Smith, for looking at both how we think about ourselves individually, but then also how we relate to others. And, and one of the things Augustine learns in his confessions, right, is his need for others. And I think you're, you're exactly right, Justin, about he's fleeing his family. You know, he's he's fleeing the provincial culture of, it's nothing against Africa as a continent, but he wants to get to Rome. And then he wants to get to Milan. You want to get to the centers of power and of, of influence. And basically, a lot of what he wanted to do was to do what a lot of people going to universities and colleges want to do now. You get your credentials and then you, you make bank or you get your power of whatever career you're trying to go into. Um, and Augustine really learns that, that it doesn't fill a, a void. So I, I won't talk too much more right now. I'll let you guys join me. But I will say um, I was really thankful that you recommended it. I know you recommended it a while ago and Mike kept getting on me. We should do this. We should do this. And I'm, uh, I'm glad I finally got to reading it. Um, it I mean, I, I would put it up. Up there with, uh, you know, best book I probably read this year, and I'd say pretty high in, in ones recently. It's one of the things he does. Um, Salins does this in history. When guys get to a, not guys, people, get to a certain point in their academic career where they're just finally able to write the book they've wanted to write. Mm-hmm. And, you know, they don't have to be completely hampered by staying in discipline. or and, and so he's in here a lot too, right? And it's really fun to see 
an academic mind um, doing that. I mean, that's one of the fun things about seeing someone get to the point in life where they now have the freedom to write a work like that. And so it, I always enjoy those uh, as well. Yeah, it's not a biography, but it is a biography both of Augustine and Smith. Yeah, right? and, and he's consciously writing it with himself in mind. He's not trying to be detached from the subject. And and without being, again, without being dogmatic, there's law and gospel in there. There's confession in there. There is, you know, I mean, if you had a theme, of course, of Augustine, and, and this book would be that, you know, we're, we're, we are restless until we find rest in the Lord, right? So we're going to let Justin talk now, Wade, but I'm going to come back to you. And you've always said that uh, Augustine ruins sex, but I want, there's a chapter here on, on, on sex, and I thought Smith was fair with Augustine. And I want to. I want you to think about an answer to that. Of yeah, if you no, think I, that was, I thought it, I thought he it was yeah. interesting, in so, and I do say that joking, but right. I still do hold to that. But to there's a there's a point behind that, and I wonder if if Smith would say, if he heard that, would say Augustine was misunderstood, or would he have the same criticism that others have about Augustine on that? Because I mean, it's a serious, actual, yeah. a very serious point. So hmm. take what you talk about, what you want to talk about, Pastor Klopp. And next time you say that word, you should say earmuffs so that people listening with their kids know to. Hmm. That's fine. They know you're on. You said it. I mean, you I know, but they know you're today. on and because of past stuff that they know that this is going to be sometimes PG-13. <laughs> so I, I commented on the fact that coincidentally, you have a Jack Kerouac poster here. Oh, we should have hit on that. In the yeah, office. this is good to bring in with the title in that too, yeah. Yeah, and maybe we, we haven't touched on the, the title here. On the Road with Augustine is a mashup of Kerouac's On the Road. I mean, Jamie James Smith is kind of uh, using that as a reference point. <laughs> and <laughs> You're not playing what Peter sent, are you? <laughs> Turn the volume down on you. <laughs> It's hard to concentrate. Sorry, I'm sorry. No, We're sorry. We are going to okay. be done now. <laughs> this is I am usually the distraction, and Wade and I haven't seen uh, each other in like two weeks. Yeah. So the you know what that is? You were playing, right? <laughs> I just just let it go. Okay. We'll explain it later, Justin. Okay. I apologize. For my, Mike's been very unprofessional. If you're familiar with "On the Road" by Kerouac, you know that it's kind of this mythical story. Not well, not mythical. It's it's actually it's like fictional realism, right? There's a name for that where the it, it, it's about real people. It's not historical fiction exactly, right. but it's about real people with different names, kind of. And yeah, and, yeah, I don't. I and he, I believe it was his publishers for some reason who made him change the names of the the real of the real people. I, and I, I can't remember exactly what. Probably fear of being sued by by someone. Um, but yeah, it, it is this novel though that it, it's trying to play on. You've kind of had auto culture as developed in America. You're able to drive places. Yeah, and like the car then is. Freedom. The trip is freedom. Yeah. And you have the the mythical character of Dean Moriarty, mm -hmm. who who is just everybody loves Dean, and and he can basically get away with whatever he wants, and he's kind of this this charismatic person that draws people to themselves. But interesting in in their journey. So Sal is kind of he kind of idolizes Dean. I'd say you know he follows Dean on Jack. the road. Yeah. 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 That's Jack Kerouac himself. Uh, but they're on the road. And they come across a Nebraskan farmer. I love that one, yeah. And he says, you boys going to get somewhere, or are you just going? And then Kerouac says, we didn't understand his question, and it was a darn 
Good question. And Smith kind of uses that theme of Augustine just going and going, and, and, and that gets exhausting, right? It's, he's, he's looking for love. It, um, in the book it says, I, or Augustine says this in the Confessions, I think, I fell in love with love. Yeah. So he tries to find rest in love. Um, he's whisked away from Africa to, I believe, Rome by the emperor because because he's going to be a, a redder. Is yeah, that, this is supposed to be his big career moment. Is that yeah. a word, a redder? Or rhetorician. Yeah, rhetorician for the emperor. So ambition. He, tr- he tries to find rest in ambition, and it, it doesn't satisfy. Um, he tries to find rest, and I think he gets wrapped up in the theater, and I don't know exactly what kind of theater this was, but he feels really guilty about it in, in the confessions. Yeah. yeah, so I don't know if it was, you know, uh, what that Roman theater was like at that time, but there, there's really no rest for him. And then uh, I found this fascinating, that, that at some point he comes to the conclusion of saying to the Lord, you were always with me, mercifully punishing me, Touching with a bitter taste all my illicit pleasures. Becoming attuned to that pain was like a first revelation, a nudge that gave him him permission to say, hold on a minute, this is all crap. Yeah. Um, so, So he even sees God's grace in kind of allowing him to experience all of these illicit pleasures and realizing that they end in emptiness and misery. Like, yeah. uh, I think Jim Carrey said, you know, I wish everyone could be as rich as I am because they'd realize it doesn't satisfy. Yeah. And it, and that's where one of the, one of the things I, uh, I really like about the book is, um, he includes all sorts of other books and it was, he like includes all kinds of books that I love. And I yeah. would say like my last five years, non like discipline related reading list. <clears throat> I mean, it's all in there. Um, you know, Freedom David by Franzen. Yeah, Franzen, yeah. Yeah. David Foster Wallace, Mary Carr. Um, you know, it. Uh, uh, there's just a, a bunch of stuff, and I, he 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 brings in Wallace in a very good way with that. Um, we've talked a little bit about David Foster Wallace in the podcast before, but um, you know, Wallace really wrestles with questions of like loneliness, boredom, um, mindless entertainment, right? And this that entertainment's another thing that he brings up in here of this either this search to not have to think about what we're lacking or this um, effort to fill it uh, or the exhaustion that comes from not having it. Uh, and uh, and I think Smith does a good job of drawing out, and he does it with movies too, right? But he draws out of fiction and out of movies to say, here are narratives that we're all familiar with and that resonate with us, which is why there's fiction and movies about it. Um this is what Augustine is wrestling with, and and I, I think uh, you know that that was very helpful and you know enjoyable to have him look at that. Uh, and you know, you mentioned as kind of the chapters break down the various ways we look to fill those things, and I, I think it's this is a good book for preachers for that reason too. Um, and I think you talked about that a little bit in something you shared with us that you sent to us. Is uh, I think sometimes. Uh, we don't grasp the full nature of the fall into sin in our preaching. And maybe we don't feel like preaching about loneliness is law. But in a way, there is right law preaching that can be done very well in like not 
you're coming at the person like you shouldn't be lonely. But to get at like, look, is this your experience? Well, part of the reason for this experience is built into, um, I'm not built into, I don't want to sound Manichaean. Uh, It is a result of our lack of original righteousness and what it means to live in a fallen world where we're not as connected with others as we would want to be or to take something like like boredom or um, think of, of we live in a culture that it's so easy not to have to sit down and really think in because you can, and this would be a, a coronavirus thing. Um, I mean, I, I've binged a ton. I've And I got into some really good series and saw some good movies. But, um, right, that can become an escapism. It can become a very powerful thing too. There's movies or series that are very powerful and they actually can be helpful. Um, but, uh, but I think this can be helpful for a preacher. And maybe even this is something that might come out in Bible class more. Um, but to get at, you know, these common human, for evangelism, maybe, maybe the person, you know, God's great exchanges is great and all, and I'm glad we stole it from the Presbyterians or wherever we got it. Um, but, um, but like maybe a contact point with the, the non-Christian can be something different than simply, here are some sins, have you committed them? Um, but as Augustine is kind of doing in his confessions, which are written largely to engage, to say, here's, do you ever feel this way? You ever notice these things about yourself or... You know, how is your career going? Are you as fulfilled as you thought you would be when you first got into it? You know, um, uh, I I think that was a very helpful thing that he did in there. And I'm talking too much, so I'll throw it back to you guys. Well, I wonder. I, I think you put a finger on something, and, and Smith does this too. We may call it the alien work of God, right? Where allowing him to go down this road so that he can learn that that's not that he was made for something better and for something more that he's, you're still going to be restless Augustine. Um, and, and I think as parents, we can, we can identify with that, how, how the father in heaven would allow us to go down this road. And, and here in the, he does bring out father and mother as things yeah, in here too, but right. So, and, and I think Philip Carey more and more, I think is on to something, you know, I mean, his confessions, who else talk like that? Yep. You know, to, I wonder if Augustine for his time, some people, the criticisms were, what do you, what do you, what do you, why are you so being so sensitive? You know what well, I mean? And it like was, being, I mean, like, Erasmus, I would have to find where Erasmus says it, but <clears throat> he has a line somewhere about autobi and Erasmus was not known for being manly, right? But, mm-hmm. um, <laughs> but he's got a line about, you know, autobiography being terribly effeminate, mm-hmm. you know, and, mm-hmm. And this was, there was almost like in the 16th century among some, like an embarrassment that Augustine would write this. But sorry, you would talk ahead. about your feelings. <clears throat> you know your, what I mean? And just yourself, like your child. Or that you would even think about your feelings. In and that even way. to talk about your child in a way as if it were formative. Like we take for granted, if you're going to go to therapy, at some point you're going to talk about your childhood, mm-hmm. right? They just, it wasn't even on their radar. Mm-hmm. Childhood is just what you got. You survived. Mm-hmm. Good job. You didn't get the plague. You mm-hmm. got beat sufficiently by your parents and your teachers. Now have at it. And, and there's an extreme, obviously, of being so inwardly curved. Right. You know, and, which is, again, an Augustine-type thing, too. And we probably, I mean, in America, have extended childhood yeah. beyond anything the world has ever seen before. But so being so curved inward, I think, would, you know, if we put it in that language for Augustine, he would say... And you'll still be restless, yeah. right? You have to be curved outward, but perhaps you need to be curved inward first of all to see that this is not going to 
this is not going to satisfy, right? Well, and, and I, I think what you're touching on is Smith says Augustine found his himself not in the inward looking mm -hmm. self, but when he learned that he had to be dependent, yeah. he found his true self. Yeah. Yeah. And then he gets things back. He gets his mother back then, yeah. right? She becomes his sister in Christ. And, and, and I think, you know, even the, the, this whole thing about Augustine telling this story about his life and this, this autobiography and this being groundbreaking, right? Maybe the, I mean, the first extant autobiography yeah. that we have um, can look very inward focused and narcissistic even. But I, I thought there was, there was one section that had caught my attention where, where Smith basically said, Augustine's purpose in writing this wasn't to glorify himself or to show how great he was, but he, he says, uh, the good he hopes will result from this undertaking is that God would stir up the heart when people read and hear the confessions of my past, which you have forgiven and covered up to grant me happiness in yourself. Um, so he's telling his story so that people can see their story within it. Yeah. And, and this is something, Mike, you know, you and I, we've talked about apologetics, and, and I wonder if that's not a, a rich a, uh, area for apologetics, mm -hmm. too. And, and I, I know it's probably close to testimonials, mm -hmm. but in a way, you wonder if, if the confessions have not been of more apologetic value mm -hmm. than a lot of other books mm -hmm. that, have, that have been written f with that intent. Yeah, I think so. And I just, think. I'll, I'll let you guys have at it. Just a line that he brings out in that, and he says this is kind of like the power of an AA meeting. Yeah. Um, <clears throat> uh, it, but he brings it up, another, like, like a, the power of a memoir. Yeah. Why do we want to read a memoir? Is that the stories are told purposefully for you to find yourself in someone else's story. So that the story is actually gift more than self-indulgence. Yeah. yeah. Sorry, go ahead. Yeah, and I mean, the danger, of course, is every pastor is out there telling everybody their sins Sunday after Sunday after Sunday, and, and it can become narcissistic that way. But that's different than Augustine's Confessions, who is putting his finger on something that's common to us all, mm -hmm. right? And so I, I think it has a lot of apologetic value. And, you know, we talk about kind of hard apologetics where we're like, okay, here's an argument from, consistent, uh, from contingency or, you know, here's the options of the problem of evil. But when the rubber hits the road, right, you want to have soft apologetics or tender-hearted apologetics is sometimes called where you are meeting people where they are. It may be with a story. It's not really about facts on the ground as much as it is, well, what, what, what movies, poetry, and novels always do, right? And that is to re a good novel, like much like the Bible, reads the person, right? And it's not about getting information, but it says something about me that I never knew. And not to make it too much about let the bird fly here, but when you think about when you would talking about going down these roads that end up being dead ends, end up being cul-de-sacs where you're turned back and God shows you what things cannot be for you so that he can show them what they are supposed to be for you. So you mentioned Monica, right? So <clears throat> To Augustine, uh, Monica was one thing, and or or maybe his Ambrose was one thing to him, or his his education of being uh, in rhetoric was going to be one thing, and it's not what we commonly do. We say 
that's bad, money's bad, sex is bad, this is bad, that's a dead end, turn to the Lord. Rather, what God is saying, that's not going to be your idol. It's not the telos. Now that you're free from that, from that um, expectation that was never going to be met, now let me reframe, Monica Ambrose, your ability to speak um, money. All the, now they're gifts that have been given to you. Right. And so, uh, God has this foreign work, his alien work of the law, which may be showing you that this is a dead end. And then he's going to free you in the gospel. Then he gifts that thing back to you. Right. And this is why I said not to make it too much about let the bird fly, but this is what we mean by a world given back to you. Mm -hmm. Like when it's no longer your idol, it becomes a gift and then you're free. So yeah, go ahead. And I think, I, I don't want to just be reading off too Go many ahead. quotes here, but he he had something exactly about that with, and I don't remember where I where I wrote that down, but Augustine, you know, would be the first to be posting on, and I can't find the quote. I'm going on memory here. He'd be the first to be posting on Instagram about his new book on humility. <laughs> <laughs> but but he would actually realize, you know, the the converted Augustine. Yeah he'd realize that now this was in the context of glorifying God mm -hmm. and, and helping neighbor and, and he'd be okay with that. Mm -hmm. Yeah. We, we, I think I always want to do an, I don't know if we have time to do a full episode on this or if there's enough content for that, but what we kind of talk about is like fake humility, right? Mm -hmm. Like all oh, shucks. I'm not this, you know, and, and really it's just a form of self justification, mm -hmm. right? Where you're trying to out humble the person next to you. And I think in our circles, we are really good at that. And, there's a certain sense of freedom and it's not to the point where you don't care what other people think about you because you always care about what, and you should, but you know, the three of us here and, and, and other people that are familiar with us or whatever, if I wrote a book, I'd tell you about it, mm -hmm. knowing that you would not look down on me as being an arrogant jerk. Maybe in other ways you would, you know what I mean? Yeah. Like you're, you know, that you, you're secure. Like, you know that I'm not doing this so that I can, well, he has a book and he has a chapter on ambition here, right? So even ambition can be righteous in the right circumstance, mm -hmm. right? I mean, now, now that, so it's not just things and people, but it's even attitudes, things that can be that, that, that they're righteous now, mm -hmm. that they're right. different. And those are, those are gifts. Uh, um, and so I, I, I think of like, even you can talk about worry and anxiety. Yes, that's a sin. That's wrong. Only if you are putting your faith in something else, but my worry shows that I love and the worry of my, my wife or my children or my mother is a gift to me, <laughs> right? In the right context. So yeah, go ahead. This may be a little off the track here, but I think the other thing that comes in, we're all nearing mid forties getting yeah. there. When you talk about ambition, I think we also kind of all God willing, you, you get this view of yourself where you realize your, your own strengths and weaknesses and you know, your, your track, you know, where, where, and, and you're willing to admit that. Yeah. And, and I often think of a cool analogy is with professional road cycling, 
where you have all these different guys. Some of them are sprinters. Some of them are climbers. Yeah. Some of them are domestiques. And they just, you know, the domestique will say, I'm never going to win the race. So I'm going to carry water bottles up to the climber who can win the Tour de France. <laughs> and I think th- this is a little off the, pa- off the, off the track here. Yeah. But I think when it comes to ambition, we all recognize, you know, so we don't have to say that all the time. We don't have to say the domestique doesn't have to say every race like, hey, I'm not going to try to win today. Like everyone knows it. Yeah. <laughs> you know, like I, yeah. Yeah. It's like Talladega Knights, Ricky Bobby and uh, Cal Nutton Jr. Cal Nutton Jr. was right. willing to shake and bake right. <laughs> yeah. to give Ricky the win. Yeah. Um, something, something else with the book, um, maybe just briefly, and, and you guys can can give your your thoughts regarding it. Um, I I thought. Uh, Something that that he brought out uh, in a a helpful way um, regarding family, right? We talked a little bit about father and mother already, and that he gets Monica back. Uh, but the idea of when people don't feel an attachment to or have that father mother relationship, uh, that they will spend life looking for it elsewhere, and and I think that's something that many would attest to. Right, um, or even if you had a good father or mother, but there was just some way in which that relationship was lacking, you're going to seek that somewhere, somewhere else. Um, and so I'll just throw out to you guys for whatever you might have on it. But um, I feel like sometimes when we do these episodes, we talk about books. We're not always clear enough about who we think should read these books. I know I brought up it, it, it's helpful for preaching, but I really think this is this is a lay person book too. This is, you know, a book for whatever one's vo- vocation might be. Um, as the, I said earlier, thoughtful college graduate. Yeah. This is not yeah. just him sitting, sitting down to use technical academic jargon. He is not. Um, and so, uh, just for the chapters on father and mother and some that goes with that. And he really, I mean, Monica is a recurring theme of how, you know, um, he mentions his wife. They visit. Was it the grave of Monica? And there's the, um, the prayer card that they have there. And, um, but Smith, that, Smith and his wife. Yeah. But yeah. that mothers can find themselves in Monica, and that right. Um, what about for the reader who's reading it? And I mean, just to read it on the basis of that, this, this connection to vocation of father and mother, um, for those of us who are father, fathers and mothers, but also maybe for some who didn't have the best relationship with father and mother. Um, anything you had on that? I thought it was just an interesting dynamic that comes in. Ambrose, as, as, as Justin mentioned, really becomes the father figure because his father, uh, I think he calls him Patrick in here, I think it was Patricius in Latin, whatever, um, is, is kind of a lousy father, right? He just is c- concerned with his son being ambitious. Um, in the confessions, it's hard to tell if... Um, Patrick physically abused Monica a lot, but he seems to have been abusive for sure. Augustine talks about other men being very abusive in in town. Um, And so it's hard to know exactly with that. Um, But he's kind of like proud of Augustine too when he's sowing his wild oats, you know, and um, rather than being like, hey, you know, son, slow down. Um, In fact, I think he mentions, you know, he kind of wants Augustine to go party with him, you know. And um, he converts on his deathbed kind of, but um, is, is... Living is a pagan um, in the literal sense, you know, before that. Uh, and so Ambrose does become like this father figure. Um, but anything just from the family aspect that you guys would would want to hit on? Just just to that, I remember a line 
um, said something like Augustine went to Rome looking was it where did, did he meet Ambrose in Rome or Milan? Milan. Okay, so he went to Milan looking to become a friend of the emperor, and he fell in love with a bishop. Yeah. It, so, so just his close relationship with, with Ambrose, and interestingly enough, if you read the biography on Smith, it sounds like he has not talked to his father in twenty-five years. Oh, really? So you wonder if that kind of made him somewhat, yeah, not to psychoanalyze. Yeah. Uh, the, the he author, does hint but, at it, at yeah. things in there. Yeah. yeah. I mean, it, just reading it as a father myself, I, it, it was a helpful read, although, I mean, it's somewhat scary because you do realize your own faults, you know, in it. Um, but I just thought vocationally, I mean, it, and I mean, Mike, I know you bring this up as father and mother as a type of yeah. Christ or of the church in relationship. Well, and, you know, to, to Augustine's famous line about, you know, we're not restless until I find rest in you, right? Uh, all the, the fathers are a mere image of the father, right? And you see delight in that when it, when it does work out. Um, but it's never going to be that satisfying, right? It's never going to be perfect. Any of our relationships, right? Uh, and then I just think the aspect of it too, that, um, you know, that a gut, you as a child, you're born and you acknowledge your dependence on people. And then Augustine, right? Is, terribly ambitious for his own independence. Um, but then when he comes to faith and acknowledges again dependence, now a dependence upon God, that that's when the relationship with the one upon whom he was first dependent, his mother, is kind of, right? And and I, I wonder, I mean, I think that has applications to marriage and all sorts of relationships as well too, but we could probably save that for another episode yeah, that's too. That's fine. So we're at about time, but we got a few minutes, uh, maybe last words from Pastor Clout about recommending the book or anything we missed you want to talk about i i would say just maybe you're you're right you could have a whole nother episode on this if we wanted to touch on everything but i think the other thing that comes through loud and clear and i i don't remember exactly how it was said but um augustine's search didn't end in him finding a home it ended in him being welcomed home by a father that like he he didn't know that he had mm-hmm. and and that part i mean that was like just grace i mean there there's so much grace in that that connection with the the prodigal son or the prodigal father whatever you want to call that that parable that is just beautiful in this book too there's just just the grace of of god for augustine yeah the prodigal son takes many different forms yeah right it's not as obvious as it is in the in oh. in jesus parable and I, no I th- and i think that welcome theme was one that w- and i think that says something for us with how we live as church right um i know especially for me early on at least in my ministry sometimes we can be so caught up in as pastors as wanting to do everything right i've got a law and gospel everything right i i don't want to give the impression i entertain sin but i also don't want to give the impression that i'm legalistic and um something that i learned and maybe it's bad i shouldn't have was to sometimes um trust god and be patient (laughs) You know, that not everything needs to be corrected on the spot. Not everything has to be. Um, and I think, you know, you see that in Ambrose with Augustine of he's going to give him time. And it's it's not the ideas of Christianity that make Augustine willing to study Christianity. It's Ambrose putting a face on it, um, which appealed a learned man, a learned bishop, right? Um, 
and I think sometimes with the he 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 uses the one movie which I have to watch now. But the, I mean, the plot sounds rather comical of the guy who has this. He gets in like a deep relationship with uh, for our adult a doll that a man might have for oh yeah questionable yeah. purposes and um, I can't remember the name of the thing yeah. but but you know not something you're supposed to become attached to and I mean something that usually you'd be pretty embarrassed to buy I mean I, I don't know Mike what's it like buying one I'm sure, <laughs> but um the first time the first time is uh, very embarrassing but <laughs> but anyways he has this. And in his town, and it becomes known, right, that I haven't seen the movie once ago, but he must treat it like a real person, I'm going to say. Um, and then it, I can't remember if it, how it dies, but it dies. And it talks about the, these women come over and bring food and then kind of just say they've come to sit with him. These nice old ladies from town. I don't remember this part at all. <laughs> you don't? <laughs> Do you remember? I, I remember the, vaguely. The movie's I, actually on Netflix now, and huh, I've been vaguely, waiting until the kids go to bed to watch it because I don't know if it... <laughs> the, but... um. But I thought about that as when we would have funerals at the church I served, and then the the, the ladies would always put on the funeral dinner after. Um, but then I would also know sometimes when someone had lost someone that they would go over and right and you just sit with them. Um, but kind of like the potluck and sitting with someone, just that welcoming thing. And I think sometimes we get so caught up in like, well, what's the perfect thing to say or whatever. Mm-hmm. Um, but I thought there was a real power to that too. Of that, I mean, it's it sounds like this comical thing of like, why should this guy be? Mm-hmm devastated about this but even though like just out of seminary me would have been like buddy like (laughs) a it's not a person Mm -hmm. b why'd you buy this thing right but the idea of two of just to kind of sit some even when you don't understand the experience but all right i'll stop (laughs) we'll watch it together you want to come over no i don't um (laughs) why not (laughs) i'm not coming over to else to watch that I probably won't even watch it. You what if we both watch it at the same time on Zoom? You watch it and you detail what I need to know about it. Okay. Fair enough. You know, we want to do stuff together. <laughs> <laughs> you, you need to show me where this is even in the book. I, don't, I, 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 do, I, do, I do remember okay. it going like, did he really have to bring up this movie? But I, there is a point there and it's well taken. It is well taken. Yeah, I don't, I don't I know actually, the page, but I did I highlight actually, it. That time, I just remember that there's a 30 Rock episode about uh, similar thing, or uh, I can't remember that famous actor that has a cameo and he has a he has a pillow that he has fallen in love with. Hmm. So, anyway, yeah. All right, I'll give you the last word, Pastor Clout, and then we we should wrap it up. I I think as you guys have already said very very well, this is a a, a wonderful book for um, pastors lay people, anyone interested in, in understanding our culture and where we're at and, and how this ancient church father speaks into it in, in a beautiful way and, and how we can use that um, even to share the gospel with others. Um, definitely an encouragement for me as, as somebody who, you know, there, there's the whole theme too of going away, coming back, but you, you, sometimes you never really feel home, but there's, there's the longing and the hope that as, as Christians, uh, we know there is a home that, that we'll be welcomed into and, and even now through Christ are, are welcomed into. Excellent. Um, so you have all these dead ends, and that I think is finally what the, the book is about, that there is going to be these dead ends where you're not going to find rest, right? That this is not your home and you're searching for this home. And when God shows you that these are not your home, and that you have uh, rest in him, you have a home in him. He also, in his grace, is going to give us all these things that we misused, 
that we put into the wrong categories that we tried to make our idols and make our home, he's going to say, I'll redeem that even for you. And so as we're on the road with St. Augustine to our true home, he has given this gospel freedom so that uh, we can realize that everything is done for us. And when everything is done for us, there's nothing left to do but let the bird fly. Every evening when the sun goes down Get with my party and I begin to cry I don't care what the people are thinking I'm not drunk, I'm just a drink I set them up, another round I set them up, another round I set them up, another round One more round won't get me down